But uh, let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for the chance to gather together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thank you that, Lord, no matter what is happening, what we're feeling right now, none of that changes what you unleashed on planet Earth through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, no matter what we're seeing right now. Nothing that we can see has put you back in the tomb, Father. You're still risen and you're still Lord. God, nothing that we uh, are experiencing in life right now is nullifying any of the power of the resurrection. So thank you for that, God. And I just pray this morning, Lord, just open our eyes to see a little bit more of who you are, a little bit more of who you desire for us to be, Father, so that we can reflect to the world around us a true and accurate image of this God that so loved them that he gave his only son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, we've had a really, really busy um, week, as we all have, and we came here last night and had a fantastic night. I was, uh, again, as usual, thinking I've been in the sun from 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday. First of all, Saturday, 36 degrees, uh, Friday, I was in the sun all day Friday at a local high, uh, school teaching kids um, sport from 9 through to 3. And it was very hot, and I'm lathering myself in sunscreen. I'm very tired. And then Saturday morning, I got up, and I... I I had to go down to Balna again and I had six hours in the sun coaching an under-20s men's team and then an over-40s men's team. Um, so one of them physically is very draining, they're very fast and quick. You know, the other one, they're over 40, probably more mentally draining, dealing with grumpy older men. Um, but nonetheless, last night I was sort of thinking, yeah, we'll come on in here, and, but I'll be gone early. But as usual, the nights are so good that we ended up staying till the very end Again, before we left and we turned the lights off as we went. So, um, but I had something on my heart and I really wanted to sit down and spend a bit more time sort of fleshing it out. Uh, but I didn't get time to do that. So this morning I'm just going to fire some shots off into the air and trust that, that God will, will join the dots for you and that you'll be able to uh, walk away and go, okay, I get it. I understand where it's coming from. I want to continue... <coughs> to bounce off where we've been the last few weeks. And that is we've been looking at us. 2,000 years ago when Jesus said to Peter, I'll build my church, I'll build this movement, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell themselves, won't stop it. We look at the church world today, um, you know, I can see in, in, in lots of situations and cases where it kind of appears that growth has stagnated. The Western church is a classic example. Growth kind of stagnated a little bit and, and maybe some places uh, statistic looks like it's declining and whether they're true or accurate is um, not, not my point this morning. But my point is this, I think if, I was to, if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee with Jesus and say, when you said 2,000 years ago, I'm building my church and this is what they would look like and this is what they're going to do and this is how they're going to reflect. When you, when you think about that, we, are we on course, are we on par or are we maybe a bit left or right of it. You know what I mean? That's my hip-hop dancing move. Right there. And um, I, think, I think when I envision that conversation, I think that Jesus would say to me, we're probably off a bit. He still loves us and he's still with us. But if I said to him, explain how we got there, I honestly believe that he would trace history backwards and it would be one degree movements at a time. And that's kind of what we've been looking at probably for the last 10, 12 weeks actually, just these one degree movements. And one degree 
and one degree and one degree, and before you know it, you're heading in a direction that maybe this is not exactly the direction we should be going in, or maybe we're not the people that we should completely be. Maybe we've got overemphasis and focus on things that probably aren't as important in the eyes of God, and maybe we underemphasize and underfocus things that to him are really, really important, but maybe to society they're not that important. So how much of culture has influenced us and how much have we, we, we adopted our value system and our ethics and so on from culture? How much of it has been adopted from even church culture, Western church culture, and how much of it has actually come from the person, life and example of this man that died for us called Jesus Christ? How much is from there? So we've been looking at, uh, we started uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the, the, the idea that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and after that he said, do this to one another. He didn't say, go and do it to me. He was changing their focus. Stop looking to heaven and all, all this sort of stuff. Um, if you really love me, I don't want you reciprocating all this stuff back to me and thinking that's the end game. It's not. If you really love me, you'll start loving people around you. That's really the goal. If this, if this love is true, then this love is the evidence of it. In other words, if this love is not evident, maybe this love is not as true as I think it is. Yep. So we started off with that and then we looked at, 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 at the story of the Good Samaritan last week and we talked about the man that tried to trap Jesus, the, the uh, religious teacher, and he said, okay, sweet, what's the greatest commandment? And we've been over this a few weeks, love the Lord your God with everything and love, love, love your neighbour as yourself. And then he says to try to trap him uh, and justify himself, so obviously he wasn't loving other people, anyone other than his own kind, he says, well, who is my neighbour? And Jesus tells a story, and the upshot of the story is that a Samaritan becomes the hero of the story, which would have been disgusting and very offensive in the eyes of most of the Jewish people standing there listening. How can you make the, the Samaritan, the hero of the story. And so last week we looked at, okay, we, we, we learn to love one another in, in, within the body. That's what we do. We, we get a great opportunity here to learn. So what does love look like? Not love that they sing about in the top 40 right now. Because you, you, ever, you ever listen to the songs? Most of the songs that are out there now that kids are listening to, even the ones with great sounding lyrics like, oh, I, I'll do this for you and so on, if you listen to the words, the base underlying uh, issue that I have with most of those songs is that the love begins with me feeling like something. So it's all about feelings. So because you make me feel all gooey, I'll swim the mountains of the world for you. I'll do it because you make me feel gooey. Now, the upside of that is when you no longer make me feel gooey, I won't do any of that stuff. Well, that's when love kicks in. When you don't make me feel gooey anymore, that's when love really kicks in because love is not a feeling it's not something that we do just because we feel like it love is a choice i've got no doubt in my mind if i sat in the council of heaven that when when god so loved the world and sent his son if i said to the father did you feel like that he'd probably say what do you think would you feel like sacrificing an innocent person for the sake of everybody else that was guilty who would feel like doing that nobody would feel like that you know, Jesus showed us, and it's so evident in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and said, Lord, I know what I'm here to do, but I want you to know I don't feel like it. But I'm not going to be motivated by what I feel like. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to love the world anyway by sacrificing myself, even when I don't feel <laughs> like it. And so love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's something that we're called to. And Jesus goes from saying, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we, we think about that. And we go, okay, we've got to love people in the church. Then with the Good Samaritan story, he now goes, now what you do to one another now, you've got to start doing that out there to other people that don't look like you, that don't smell like you, don't think like you, don't behave like you, don't even agree with what you agree with. 
But the end game is that we do that to them. Why? Because that's what God did to us. While we were still sinners, had no interest in him, he loved us by sending his only son. And it's wonderful as what it is here hanging out with you, and I love it, and we need to do it. The end game is not here. Let's love one another here. The end game is that, uh, I think I used to, to told you last week the story about that woman that taught on, on my um, discipleship training school and relationships, an old grey-haired woman from Goulburn, and she said, speaking on relationships, she said, holding hands starts that which holding hands can't satisfy. And, you know, she was basically saying, don't do that because young people, that leads to this and leads to that and so on. Kissing, it was, sorry, kissing starts that which kissing can't satisfy. And I never forgot it. And uh, I think that if Jesus was here today, he would say, loving one another in the church starts that which loving one another in the church can't totally satisfy. So in other words, let's learn to do it here, and then let's get outside of the walls of here, and let's start doing the same thing to other people, because we know what it feels like to love somebody else. We also know what it feels like to have somebody else love us unconditionally as well. So we take that out there into uh, the world. So Galatians uh, chapter 6 and verse 10 says this, and we looked at this last week. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, not exclusively, not exclusively, but he says especially to those who have the household of faith. In other words, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everybody in this room. Let's learn to do good. Not just talk about doing good. Let's learn to do good. And let's learn to do it here, but not exclusively here, but especially here. Because the world is looking into this group of people that we call the church, and they're looking at the church going, you talk a big game, but do you play it? You talk about a God of unconditional love, but can you love me unconditionally? You talk about a God of grace, but can you give me grace when I rub you the wrong way? You talk about a God that, like this, do I see that reflected in you or don't I? So... As often as we get opportunity, do good to one another, but also not exclusively in here, but we need to learn. The end game is to get to a point where we can start taking that out there and doing that to a world that doesn't know Jesus. I love that word. Therefore, as we have opportunity, that word opportunity is a Greek word, kairos. You would have heard that word before. Kairos. It's translated, (coughs) excuse me, it's in the New Testament over 80 times. 64 of the times it's translated as the word time. Time, not opportunity, time. So therefore, as we have time. So when I'm sitting here talking about doing good to others, we're not talking about uh, complete, total and utter self-annihilation of just running around trying to please everybody else to the point where you drop off the perch yourself. We're not talking about that. It's saying as we have time, do good. You need to look after yourself. You do. You need to take care of yourself. You need to look after your, 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 your spouse, your, your partner. You need to have time together. You need to have time with your kids. You have responsibilities at work that you have to fulfill. You need to do that stuff. But I believe in everybody's life, there's this opportunity. There's this time space. And maybe it's a, 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 a time space where I have that opportunity with the physical hours of a clock. Maybe it's, maybe it's a financial time space where I've got every, my, my needs are all covered, and everything, but I've got that little bit extra that I could use to help that person that's struggling. This week we had a, a phone call from a lady. Rings us up. A, a guy I used to go to school with, he uh, has, became saved. He's an indigenous man, and he rings me up, and he didn't tell me it was him first on the phone. He's being all official, like, hello, is this... Uh 
pastor of Arise Church, Pastor Alan. I'm like, yeah. And he's going through this spiel about this person in deep need. In the end, I'm, I had to go, look, can you, I'm happy to, to take down the details and, do, and, and you know, look into what you are, but can you tell me who you are? And he burst into laughter and said, ah, it's Lindsay. How are you? You know, we went to school together. But anyway, there's a, a lady in town here. And that lady has been living in a car for three years. This is local. She's lived in a car for three years. She's just got a house. You know, you know what her, 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 her joy, the most exciting thing about getting into a house is? She said, I don't care about my furniture. I, get to, I want to just go in in the house and lay straight and sleep instead of sitting up in a chair. Three years. She's been living in a car in our community for three years. So I got a phone call on Friday from her auntie saying, I need to talk to you. I need, need someone to come and see me. And I was working and Jackie was working and Jackie was finishing work um, before I was. I was down at a school doing some stuff. Jackie rings her up and she says, look, come around. And Jackie's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she drives around to the lady's house, sits down with her. This, this auntie's bawling, telling her the story about this young girl. It was her mum, sorry, Lindy's auntie. And the mother's telling Jackie the story about this young girl and, and they've got her a, a house now and so she's, she's moved into a house. She lost the kids because she was living in a car. She desperately wants her kids back. The kids want to be with the mother. But what was, what was the, the, the immediate struggle was that we've got these three storage units and tomorrow morning, by the way, if anybody is free tomorrow morning, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm already booked in another place in the morning, um, another school I've got to go and do some work at. But uh, tomorrow morning between the hours of seven Excuse me, and 9 o'clock, they'll be unloading some storage units. She's got three storage units. They'll be unloading the storage units and dropping the furniture off at the house. So if anyone has time for that, let me know, and I'll try to connect up. Um, yeah, but but the, the, the other need was this, that because she's paying rent still on the storage units, she has literally no food in the cupboard. You can't, you're not going to get your kids back when your cupboards are empty. And So anyway, so uh, as a church, that's us. That's you, your tithes, your offerings. As a church community, we were able to give her a few hundred dollars. And Jackie went and met with her and, you know, we know sometimes people would say, oh, it's unwise and what will they spend the money on? No, no. Jackie went, sat with them, met with them, uh, talked to her, prayed, all legit. Called us up since and are so grateful, so grateful that this group of people here uh, would be generous and would help with a practical need. You know, I go back to um, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Looked at last week in Luke 10. And, and, and Here's this guy. We know the story. The priest comes down and the priest sees this man half dead and walks around the other side of the road and just keeps on going. Why does he do that? I don't know. There's no explanation whatsoever. Levite comes down, does the same thing, sees him, goes and walks away. Why does he do it? I don't know. There's no explanation. But what we do know is the guy that the audience were expecting would be the least favourable, the one that the audience expected would walk on the other side and and run away because of racial reasons and religious reasons is the one that comes to his aid. But... Love didn't stop just because he walked over to him. We all know the story. Now, Jesus is giving this guy that asks him, who's my neighbor? He's giving him an example of what it means to love your neighbor. This guy sees him, goes over to him, and the Bible says he's moved with compassion. And he's moved with compassion so much that what does he do? He, he, he bends down, and he gets out his oil and his wine, and he actually bandages up and cleans up this guy's wounds, and he gets his first aid kit, bandages the thing up picks this guy up, puts him on his own donkey. So this guy now, now you're on my donkey, so what do you think he's doing? He's probably walking. He's probably walking the rest of his journey now until he gets to an inn. When he gets to an inn, he takes the man down, he gets a room. He pays the guy. Here's some money for the room. He stays overnight with the guy because it tells us the next morning when he gets up, he leaves. I don't know whether he was planning on staying there. Maybe, Maybe it was a real intrusion on his business trip wherever he was going. I don't know. 
But he stops and he stays and he sacrifices his time and he sacrifices his resource and he sacrifices his energy and he goes there and he puts this guy in the inn. Then when he leaves, he says, here's some money. If he spends any more, cover it. If there's more than that, when I come back, I'm going to do it too. Point being this, that, that the love that Jesus was trying to say to him, this is love. Love is not just seeing a need and acknowledging a need. That's not love. Oh, we can see this problem. That's not love. Jesus says love has legs. Love has hands. Love is an action. You know, it's, it's my, it, it's, it's, it's my um, little pet bee in my bonnet that, that we have watered down love so much and we have twisted the concept of love. By the way, I don't care what culture you come from or what you've heard, love began with God. There is no room in human history to change the definition of love. Love began with God. God is love. We, we, we heard read out of First John last week, communion. God is love. So love begins with God. So we can say, but that's love. No, no, no. Let's go back to the original concept of what is love. Love is God. That is love. That is what love looks like. For God so loved the world that he didn't just sit back and say, wow, I hope they get themselves in order. I'm really feeling for you and I'm really thinking about you. <laughs> you know, I hope you can make it through. No, no, he did something. Love motivates us to action. Love motivates us to do something, to sacrificial action on behalf of somebody else and not just uh, on behalf of ourselves. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have time, do good to all, especially to those who have the household of faith. Love doesn't call us to do everything for everyone, but it does call us to do something for someone. Okay? Love doesn't call us, and these are the extremes of Christianity. There's one extreme where you just, you know, give everything and you self-sacrifice yourself and, I, and, and, and to your own detriment. And, and I'm not saying that that's the case. It's interesting, uh, Augustine, I think it was, one of the early church fathers, he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if somebody comes and asks you, give it to them. And uh, he, said, uh, he, he said that Jesus said if someone asks that you give to them, but he said you don't give them everything that they ask. Jesus didn't say give them everything they're asking. He's just saying if they come with a need, as well as it's within your means and opportunity, meet that need. But don't be stupid about it. You don't have to go giving people everything just because they ask for it. That's not what he's saying. That's a a deformed version of what love is in the Bible. But there is an expectation that if we have opportunity or the time to meet the need of somebody else and to help somebody as an expression of who God is to them, that there would be a part of us that would be open to doing that. I know a lot of people aren't even open to that. We're not even open to it because the, the prosperity gospel, if you're an extreme believer, we're so blessed, we're so blessed. And the more I get, because it's, I'm the focal point, the more I get, the more blessed I am. And the more blessed I am, well, God's given me that blessing. That's for me, me, me. Well, I'm not going to go and give it to everybody else because it's for me. And it's, there's all these extreme stupid views out there. But Jesus makes it very clear through the story of the Good Samaritan that love has action. Love is an action. And if you have the time, the opportunity affords itself for you to be able to meet a need. doesn't mean you've got to meet every need that's around there, but if you have the opportunity to meet a need and it's within your means and within your, your resource or whatever and so on, then you know what? It's actually a great reflection of God to step into that space and do something for people. Here, look at what James says. In James chapter 2, verse, 13, verse 15 to 18. This is what James says. He says this. He says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. 
but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. I'm not talking about just giving everything everybody wants. He's talking about the basic needs, saying if you don't give them what is needed, what does it actually profit? Oh, it profits a great deal because I prayed for them. I prayed for them, brother. It really profit. Oh, pray for them. I'm not saying don't pray for them. But in that moment, I remember reading a story years and years ago, a woman called Jackie Pullinger. Anyone remember Jackie Pullinger? Yep. She went to Kowloon, what was called the walled city in China, Kowloon in China. And it was this, just basically this big high-rise building, and within it was opium dens and prostitutes, and it was just one of the darkest places on earth at the time. And she goes in there, and she, uh, by, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, she began to work with these drug addicts and stuff. People were coming off, um, born, on, born uh, addicted to heroin, and, and coming off heroin, cold turkey, no side effects, no nothing. She was known for, for this sort of stuff to go on in, in, in her ministry. It's just a, a blessing of God, gift of God upon her life, and she was doing amazing things. But she shared a story once that I heard, and she, and, and, and she said she took an American pastor into the middle of the walled city. He wanted to go on in and check it out, and the church were thinking of supporting and helping the work she was doing. So she's walking around inside the city with this pastor, and they get to this little um, cafe type thing. All morning, she's walking in, she's praying for people, um, she's, she's sitting down speaking to prostitutes and beggars and so on and and then they get to this little cafeteria and they stop and they sit down and and she orders some lunch for the two of them <coughs> and this china excuse me chinese man comes over and he starts talking to the american pastor saying something and the american pastor says to jackie i want you to, to to interpret for me i'm going to tell him about jesus so this pastor starts preaching jesus you know the the, the death the burial all the message is good nothing wrong with the message it's an awesome message it's truth and he's giving truth. And the guy keeps looking at Jackie and saying something, turning back. And the American pastor starts getting frustrated because he's trying to talk. And this guy keeps turning back to Jackie, saying something, and then back. And in the end, he says, what is he saying to you? And she says, here's what he's saying. I can't hear you. I'm hungry. I can't hear you. I'm hungry. In other words, meet this practical need for me, brother. And I might be able to hear what you have to say. Because I want to see it first. Help me see it, and then I'll be much more open to hearing it. This is what James is saying. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, and you say to them, Oh, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? The answer, it profits nothing. Profits nothing. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, this is what we've been talking about, my faith in God will produce works down here. The evidence of my faith in God is going to be seen through my works down here on planet Earth and the way I interact with other people. If it does not have works, faith, if it does not have works, is dead dead. So you can have a faith that's actually alive. You can have a faith that's dead. And what's the difference between the two? What are you doing? What are you doing? What works are being produced through you as a result of your faith in God? If the life of God and his spirit is flowing through you, what is that producing? What fruit is there in your world and my world he goes on in verse 18, says, But somebody will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith 
by my works. Show me your faith without. How can I see your faith without works? What are the works he's talking about? Well, he's just told us. Somebody comes to you and says, I've got no food, I'm destitute, I'm hungry. Meeting that practical need. Oh, but I've got faith, brother. You can see it. Come and watch me when I pray. Come and see how long I spent two hours a day in prayer. Huh? Don't tell me. I spent two hours a day in prayer. Every time the doors of that building are open, I'm in there. Prayer meetings, worship nights, Sunday mornings. I'm even going there some days when nothing's on. Don't tell me. That's my works. I fast all the time. That's my works. You know, I love God. I can quote that Bible in Hebrew backwards. And not skip a beat. Don't tell me. No, hang on. I'm not telling you anything. I'm just reading out to you what a guy that knew Jesus called James. I'm just reading out to you something that a guy called James wrote. And he was a lot closer to the beginning of the story than I am. And this is just what he said back then. He said, you've got faith and I've got works. Show me your faith without your works. And James said, here's, here's what I'll do. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You look at what I do. You see the works that come out of me and that'll be evidence for you about my faith. Let me tell you something about this current generation that we're dealing with and people in the world at the moment. Nobody cares about what's real. Uh, Sorry, nobody cares about what's true. All they care about is what's real. There's no such thing as absolute truth anymore. You can have your truth and you've got your truth and you've got your truth. We, We can sit here and debate truth and talk about different truths and be respectful of one another's truth. Nobody cares about truth. What I care about is it real. You can have your truth, but is your truth real? You can have the truth. Having that truth is irrelevant. You can have that and I'll have mine, whatever. I'm not impressed by your truth because I've got my own truth. But what I am impressed by is what's actually real. What makes a difference in the life of a person? What changes a community? What changes a society? Truth is, is, is secondary now to what's actually practically real. What makes a difference? You know, one of the marks of the world as time gets closer for the return of Jesus. And, and this, is, this is, again, I want to read some things to you. As it gets closer to the return, and I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back soon. I have no idea when he's coming back. And if he knows when he's coming back, he ain't going to tell me. The Father knows that. That's what Jesus said. So if you're one of these people that are stocking up water bottles at the moment, sell them. You could make some coins short term, really, really good. Go on a holiday because you don't know. Okay, we don't know. We've got no idea. So let's not live as if it's going to happen right now. Let's let's live as if, as 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 uh, uh, Peter wrote, that he said that God's not slack in keeping His promises, but He's long suffering, not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone would come to repentance. In other words, uh, what Peter's writing into there, the promise he's talking about, there were people in that particular church that were going, "Hang on, we heard that Jesus was coming back." And da-da-da. two Peter three nine, I think you'll find it. We heard Jesus was coming back, and da-da-da. And he goes, well, hang on, let me say something. God's not slacking concerning his promise. He is going to come back. But let me explain to you why he hasn't come back. Because he's long-suffering and patient, and he's holding it off as long as he possibly can because there's so many people that have not yet came to him. There are so many people that have not yet repented. That's why he's not slow concerning his promise. He's coming, but he's going to wait and wait and hold it off as long as he possibly can to make sure that everybody gets a chance to hear the good story about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, resurrection. But anyway... One of the marks of the world as it gets closer for the return of Jesus is that love, true biblical love, is going to be one of the first casualties in time. This is why it's so important that we get back to the core element of love. Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, if you what? Love one another. Love one another. It's frustrating. You must be frustrated too. I get frustrated seeing churches that are competing with each other. You got the bigger band, and we got the bigger lights, and we got the flashier speaker, and we got. It's not a competition, people. 
If we would start loving each other, Jesus said, this is the greatest evangelistic strategy in the world. If you people that call upon my name could love one another, it'll change the world. This is what Jesus said. Anyway, I, th- I figure he knows a few things. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Look at this speaking of the end times as we get towards the end. It says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Then he goes on and lists lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, blasphemers. But the first thing he says, the core root of the whole thing is men will become lovers of themselves. Love will get distorted. It will be all about you. What's in it for you? What benefit is there to you? Men will become lovers of themselves. This is one of the things that he said. One of the first casualties will be love. Love will get twisted and distorted. And I can see it now. I can already look around even the church world. And I see people quoting, I love you. And I'm thinking, hang on a second, you are watering down the concept of what biblical love actually is. Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus again speaking about the end times as he gets closer to his return. Look at what Jesus says about love. He says, uh, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's interesting. What he's saying there is that lawlessness will abound. The the laws will disappear. It's going to get more and more chaotic. It's going to become a a free-for-all. You're going to get to the stage where you'll have homosexual marriages and you'll have uh, this and all these things. And we look around the world today and we can see that lawlessness is getting more and more rife. The boundaries are coming down. The markers are getting moved out. More and more things are becoming acceptable. We're, we're, we're in that stage and in that space. And there's probably way, way darker places to go to than we are now. But we're there. We can see that lawlessness is starting to abound. But I, the second part is what gets me. It says the love of many will grow cold. In other words, for your love to grow cold, it was hot once. It was hot once. But maybe the prevailing culture or whatever's going on around here, somehow that culture, the spirit of the age, gets inside the heart of the people in the church and love that was once really hot and passionate for God that overflowed into thinking of others more highly than ourselves and and being open and being channels to express the reality and love of God to people here and out there. All of a sudden that love begins to grow cold. And we stop being that reflector of perfect love. God is love. We become lovers of ourselves, and our love grows cold. It's a tragic, tragic picture when you understand that God himself is love. The power of God is love. God is self-sacrificial love. Jesus said, this is how they're going to know it. Hang on to this truth. Take this truth to the grave. If you have love for one another, they'll know you're my disciples. And the devil's up there going, okay, sweet. If that's how they're going to know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to destroy the love. I'm going to go straight after the love. I can't remove love, so I'm just going to distort and I'm going to twist love. So the people think love means just simply acknowledging a need. Oh, I can, I can see that you're really, really hurting. I can see that you've got no food in your cupboards. You know what? I'm going to pray for you and be blessed and so on. And that's love. And Jesus says, that's not love. That's not love. Don't allow yourself to, to, to have the concept of love watered down. Love is practical. Love is practical. He goes on, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I think it is, talks about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. And we have a list of attributes of what love is. Every single one of those attributes there, guess what? Here's one thing that you need for every one of those attributes. You need another person. Love is patient. What does that mean? That means that I'm going to be in a situation where impatience is, is a possibility. But I'm choosing to be patient with you. Love is kind. That means that I'm going to be in situations where I have the opportunity to be unkind, but I'm going to choose kindness because that's what love is right here in this situation. The attributes of love infer the fact that, you know what, you, you've got to be in contact with other people to express these attributes. That's why it so bugs me 
with, with, with people sending, it's my pet bug, sending letters all around the world to everybody in the church and going, oh, we love you. I'm one person on a list of 200,000 people. You do not love me. Don't say that. Because you just keep reinforcing the idea that love is just simply that you can love. I can't love somebody I've never met. I can be affectionate, compassionate for their situation. But true biblical love, I can't love everybody. I don't love everybody. I haven't met you. How can I practically express love to you? I can, if love is just a theory and a name badge, then yeah, I love everybody. But if love is practical and it's action, I don't love everybody. And there's nothing wrong with me saying that. God so loves the world because he did something that impacted the entire world for everybody personally. Okay? But we've got to stop watering down the concept of love. Love is very, very practical and it takes interaction between people. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 says this. We all know this passage. We've heard it preached a thousand times about why you should always come to church and why you should always hang out together. And, and I agree with that. We should be fellowshipping and hang out together. But it's interesting why. We should be doing this. And the writer to Hebrews gives us this insight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Why do we consider one another? And then it goes on. It says, Don't forsake gathering together. But why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Go back to verse 24. Why are we doing it? To stir one another up in love. And when we stir one another up in love, that love leads to good works. So when I stir you up in love... That love leads to good works. It leads to something practical that you go and do. More than just, I'll pray for you, brother. Let me share a scripture with you. Let me sing a song to you. It's practical and it's tangible. And he says the main reason why we gather together is because we need to stir one another up to this kind of stuff. Stir one another up with love. So that when we walk outside the walls of this place, we'll go on and we'll do some good works out there for people. We'll be prepared to get our hands dirty in the lives of other people. We'll be prepared, unlike the Levite and unlike the priest, who saw that person that had a potential need and they walked the other way. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to get too engaged. I don't want to get too involved. I'll just walk at an arm's length. And maybe they prayed as they walked past. But Jesus says, that ain't love. This Samaritan guy who walked straight up to them, got down and got involved in the dirty and, and, and the gritty and the hard stuff of life and was prepared to be an answer to the prayer that they wanted to pray. Now, that's love. That's love. This is what Jesus is saying. And this is what we need to grab a hold of. God wants us to be a loving people. Love is more powerful than anything else. It's more powerful than a polished preacher up the front that can make you laugh and make you cry in an instant. Love is more powerful than the greatest band with the most trained musicians in the world, the best light show, the greatest building. Love is more powerful than that. Love is more powerful than the greatest prophetic preacher you've ever heard can stand up here and speak the words of God. Love is more powerful than any of that. I'll finish with this. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very last passage. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of my favorite passages because he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit bestows gifts. He gives supernatural. These are not natural. He gives supernatural endowments to his people. Do I believe in miracles? You bet 150%. Do I believe in healings? Yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do I believe that God could raise a person physically from the dead today in 2019? With all of my heart, I believe that. 
Do I believe that, 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 that people that are being oppressed uh, demonically, that there is a spiritual dimension beyond this natural world? Do I believe that God can reach into that invisible realm that I can't physically see and remove demonic strongholds? With all my heart and every single fiber of my being, I believe all of that and I pray for all of that. Do I want to see that here with every single part of me? Yes, 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 amen, and yes. Am I believing for it, praying for the day? Yes, yes, amen, and yes. Do I pray during the week? God, I want to walk in on Sunday and see you move in such a way that I've got nothing to say and people are just excited about God and their people are dropping down, being healed and set free. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, yes, and amen, it would be great. So hear that. Now hear this. After spending this whole passage, chapter 12, talking about the importance of the power of God, healings, miracles, signs and wonders, prophecy, all these wonderful gifts and talking to the Corinthian church about how wonderful it is. Listen to what he says in the very last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts and then full stop, he says this, yet I show you a more excellent way. That word literally means one that is far beyond. I've just told you about all the power of God and the miracles and something, they're great, but I'm now going to talk to you about something that is so far greater than that. In the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 13, we all know it. It's called the passage of what? Love. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love. I'm just a clanging gong. Noisy symbol. Though I have all mysteries, though I, 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 I can fathom the greatest insights, though I've got the best performance of charismatic presentation, though I can finger pick a guitar and the angels would fall down in worship, though I've got all these things, if I don't have love for you, then who cares how many followers I have on Instagram? Who cares how many people sit in the church? Who cares how many people come to my funeral and love me? Who cares how many people put hands up at an altar call? Who cares how many people get baptised? If I have not love, then I don't have anything. In other words, what Paul's saying is this. A community of love will trump a community of a thousand miracles. community of love will reach a world with the reality of God more than a community of a thousand healings. It's wonderful as what those things are. If we have not love, then we're just making noises. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago by this. Will everybody know? That word know in the Greek is an experiential knowledge. In other words, by this will all men experience that you're my disciples. They'll experience it. By this will all men experience that you're a follower of mine. When you have love, they experience, they see that love, the good works, they experience that love. And they're going to know when they experience that love, you must be one of his. Am I right? I thought so. It wasn't because I sat at your window and peeked in while you prayed. It wasn't because I saw how much money you put in the offering box up the back. It wasn't because I heard you quoting scripture. You weren't even looking at the Bible and you just knew what they were and you just saying them. 
It wasn't because I see a car in the car park every single day at one of those religious buildings. It's because I experienced the love of God through you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here amongst us, God. We are, Lord, all of us on a journey. And that journey begins with a crucified Savior. It begins with Jesus on a cross. And then Jesus walking out of a tomb. And then Jesus standing before 12 southern Galilean hillbillies and a bunch of other people and saying, you know what, go and tell everybody what I've done. And Lord, thank you because of that we're here today. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, God, regardless of the messages that we hear, God. We get so many mixed messages, Lord, and we have so complicated the Christian faith and we have so complicated all the simplistic stuff of God. Lord, I pray, would you bring us as a, as a faith community, bring us back to the simplicity. Love God, and if we're doing that well, we'll love people. And Lord, if we do that, then God, I believe this, the people around us, they will experience the reality of God as we love them. Holy Spirit, it's not something we can fake it till we make it. And I put my hand up and say, I, I need... I need a move of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need you, Father, to, to, Lord, crack open that heart of mine again. Lord, remove any calluses. Lord, any hurts, Lord, where I might have reached out before been hurt, Father. It's not a, show me that it's not a good enough reason to stop. Lord, give me the courage to forgive and to move forward, Lord. And God, for each of us in this room, Lord, if we have our reasons why we, we find it hard, God, to love or why we feel that we, we're so inward focused, Lord, or maybe we have been hurt or disappointed or whatever. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you walk gently with each of us? Would you open our eyes, show us the stuff that we need to see? And Father, would, would you raise us up in such a way that when people in this community think about Arise, God, I want them to think first and foremost about a genuine, loving community of people that follow Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for the next seven days as we go from this place, Lord, give each of us an opportunity, Lord, as your word says, as we have opportunity, do good. And Lord, give us opportunity this week to do something beautiful for somebody else that reflects your love for that person, Lord. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Uh, Don't forget, three o'clock today, baptisms. Map was up on the screen there. Uh, we're going to hang around up the front here. If anybody would like any prayer, we'd love to, to pray with you. Maybe uh, the Lord's spoken to you today. Maybe you've, you've heard something for the first time. Maybe you felt a bit challenged. We'd love to pray for you. Other than that, though, uh, guys, we'll catch you at 3 o'clock at that point there, Howard's Creek Crossing. Amen. Bless you.